You're listening to the BCTLE Podcast, a resource made possible by the BD Center for Teaching and Learning Excellence at Taylor University. I'm your host, Timothy Berkey. If you caught last episode of the BCTLE Podcast, then where we are going today is not going to be surprising. In the last episode, we heard from three current Taylor students who happen to be international students, and we learned about their experiences within the Taylor experience. On today's episode of the podcast, the conversation is with Dr. Jan Dormer and Dr. David McGinnis, two faculty who recently hosted a guest host session with the BCTLE on meeting the needs of our international students. And the ideas that they introduced at this session are ideas that I continue to think about because they affect how I teach right now. I have international students in my classroom, but beyond that, I have students in my classrooms who would benefit from some of the ideas and best practices of meeting the needs of our international students because our international students, spoiler alert, are students. And so how we meet those needs directly translates to how we meet the needs of uh, our our students who are not international students. But I also uh, have found myself coming back to these ideas presented in their session because we've been hearing quite a bit from the administration about growing, uh, widening our circle of learners, extending to uh, greater international audiences. And my education in teaching prior to coming to Taylor has not equipped me to uh, the best practices of teaching international students. And so as I think about how I see myself fitting into uh, the, you know, the, the plan moving forward, as I think about how I meet the needs of my students today, I keep coming back to the session that Jan and David hosted at the BCTLE. This is not that session. I would encourage you to visit the BCTLE YouTube page um, and watch uh, that session. Um, This is a follow-up conversation where we unpack some of the why and how of their session and start to preview a little bit about what future conversations about meeting the needs of our international students could look like on campus. Uh, Jan and David have a lot of ideas, and I can sort of sense uh, some momentum moving in that direction. So I don't want to waste any more of your time. I want to invite you into my conversation with Dr. Jan Dormer and Dr. David McGinnis. Well, Jan, David, welcome to the BCTLE podcast. I'm so excited for our conversation today that uh, our faculty across campus get to sort of join in remotely for. So welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thanks, Timothy. Yeah, absolutely. So just on Tuesday of this week, uh, the BCTLE had a guest host session with the two of you walking us through meeting some of the needs of international students. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to add that qualifier of some of the needs of international yes. students. I think our title was meeting the needs of, and we just can't do that in a single yes. hour on a Tuesday right before yeah. spring break. Um, 
but we had one of the most highly attended uh, sessions mm-hmm. uh, this last Tuesday. I don't know um, if, if you two were aware of that, but the, the conference room was packed. And, and normally, at we, I think we averaged maybe six uh, mm-hmm. uh, attendees at a session, and this was at least twice as many faculty. Mm-hmm. I think there's a real sense of desire to understand and better meet student needs on campus uh, but especially whenever we're talking about a group of students who uh, might be having a slightly different kind of experience right. i think taylor faculty are are want to be very intentional about how we meet mm-hmm. the needs of all of our students mm-hmm. um, but i'm sure that there are mistakes that we are making um, and uh, on the last episode of the podcast, we actually had three international students uh, on the podcast. And we talked about some of the things that they have seen from their experience. But I'm curious from your experiences, what are some of these common mistakes that faculty might make when, when interacting with or, or engaging in the learning experiences with some of our international mm-hmm. students? Um, You know, the first thing that jumped out at me with this question is the issue of content. So the content that you're teaching. And I think uh, faculty might, uh, faculty could have two different kinds of misconceptions about their students' understanding of content. Mm -hmm. So one is jumping to the conclusion that a content deficit or lack of understanding is there jumping to that conclusion that there is a deficit in the content area Mm. when maybe it's just a language issue Mm. or a cultural issue. Okay. But then on the flip side, sometimes you can jump to the conclusion that students have the content and understand the content because they're so good at memorizing Mm. and kind of spitting back what you have told them. Mm. So that real understanding might not be there. So I think on the issue of content, there could be these two um, ways of sort of misunderstanding where students are at Mm. with regard to their content learning. Mm. Yeah, I'd I'd like to add to that. I think, Jen, you're exactly right. And I think that that can be true of all of our students, Mm -hmm. right? But I think it's just more um, emphasized or or, uh, obvious with our international students. Mm -hmm. But Taylor is so good at global engagement, and I think many of our profs do a great job. We can learn from a lot of the strategies mm-hmm. that I've seen in some of the teaching triads that I've been in as well. Um, so it's not like we feel there's a huge learning curve that has to occur, but I think right. that there are some really good strategies that can help mm-hmm. all of us to improve teaching for mm-hmm. all of our students, but especially for our international mm-hmm. students. Well, and it makes me think a little bit about some of your experience as uh, in your time in K-12 and high school while also adjuncting here at Taylor. Those experiences of of teaching at the college level while also helping prepare uh, high school students develop their understanding of language, uh, English language, and, and prepare for for the next step. How was that influencing that same idea of um, there are schools out there who who are focused, who are intentional in this space. Was that sort of influencing the way that you engaged with some of those high school students that, that you had the opportunity to work with? 
It, it actually was the reason I came back to Taylor mm. is because I was working with a group of 36 high school students from 12 different countries mm. speaking nine different languages. And I was bringing in practicum students from Butler and IUPUI, and they were great. But I thought, you know, Taylor students mm. really need to get involved in this mm. because they're so globally minded and, and they have that Christian perspective as well. And so that's when I reached out to the TESOL department at Taylor and got reconnected to Taylor. So absolutely, um, just recognizing that Taylor has a rich history in this mm -hmm. was something that, that I was pursuing. Mm -hmm. Timothy, back to your, your question about what, what faculty might not mm. possibly be doing. And one, one thing I've seen sometimes is just a reluctance for fear of misstepping mm, culturally, right. <laughs> and which is which is admirable on one sense that there is that awareness that you know there there could be a cultural gulf and you don't want to um, you don't want to misstep or yeah. say something out of line, but. I think the bigger failure is to fail to engage yes. and question and provide feedback mm. um, because our students want that. Mm. And where their English language development is concerned, they want that, obviously, in a one-on-one -on -one sort of private way, a helpful way that's not connected to grades, but they want that. Mm. And so there can be a fear of... You know, I don't want to embarrass them. I don't want to hurt their feelings. I don't want to, you know, but I, I think it's, it's better to try mm -hmm. and engage and talk and gen take steps backwards. If you feel that you have, you know, done something inappropriate, then talk about that, you know, but having those conversations is always valuable. Yeah. On the last episode, um, uh, one of our international students, um, Karis, uh, she's uh, yeah. Bahamian, um, uh -huh. and uh, she spent uh, a, a, a quite a number of years in the U.S., uh, mm -hmm. back and forth uh, on sort of her parents were missionaries, and as they would mm -hmm. come to the States to raise support, she was she was very much mm -hmm. aware of cultural differences in, in her ability to code switch is something that has mm -hmm. uh, been advantageous to her and at times has gotten her into conversations about identity as mm -hmm. it does with all of our students who mm -hmm. find themselves in that position. But she said something very similar that um, I, I mentioned how uh, tenuous it can be in the classroom, mm -hmm. uh, not wanting to make an assumption mm -hmm. either either side of, of what I could assume mm -hmm. and risk hurting the relationship with a student. Uh, and she said something very similar yeah. about, uh, you know, it's worth the risk. Yeah. Just ask me. Yes. I, I, I'll tell you. Um, and I think sometimes um, I forget just how open and uh, forgiving Taylor students yes. are. <laughs> they, will, they will forgive quite a, a bit of awkwardness yes. if they believe in, yes. in the intentionality. Yes. Can I uh, just add to that? Yeah. My, my wife was an international student here from mm -hmm. the Bahamas as well. Mm -hmm. And there's a couple of pieces to that. We have students here where English is either their first language or a primary language in their country. Mm -hmm. 
but it may sound very different to us and we mm -hmm. may have a hard time understanding what they're mm -hmm. saying right. and that adds a complexity to the relationship mm -hmm. but they're also coming with different backgrounds as, as we've mentioned and what you just said about the intentionality my wife came from a small island where there was no technology and she uh, was about ready to fail the mm. computer science class that she was taking. Mm -hmm. But Bob Davis, uh, just a wonderful teacher and professor and man, uh, just took her under his wing and helped her and was intentional and you know helped her to get to a, a place where she could pass and just mm. saw that she was struggling yeah. and communicated with her and met her needs. And that relationship has always been a special one. And when we came back, you know, when Bob saw Dana, they just big <laughs> hug and just uh, a lot of, um, a lot of great things can come from those intentional relationships. Yeah. So you have some uh, relationship connection to international student experience through your spouse and through your time uh, in high school working with, you say nine different languages? Yeah, there were. Wow. I mm -hmm. I was thinking maybe two or three. I wasn't anticipating nine. That's incredible. And I know, Jan, that you have uh, lived all over the world, mm -hmm. right? And, and taught in many of mm -hmm. those places that mm -hmm. you've lived. How have your cultural experiences shaped how you see the Taylor classroom? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, you know... In classrooms in Asia, I experienced a lot of um, educational contexts where questioning wasn't mm. a thing, mm. wasn't part of the teaching and learning repertoire the, the way it is here. Mm. Um, more rote memory, um, sometimes in, in some places, Questions are questions by students are frowned upon as they kind of in indicate that the professor hasn't taught well. Yeah. They're kind of interpreted like that, mm. and um, teachers often don't have this. Don't um, expect students to ask questions. They expect them more to find out the information on their own, mm. and so I think knowing that piece about questioning has helped me to be very intentional in talking through that with international students. Mm. Um, talking through why questioning is valued in a Western education and the ways in which it is done. And that can get down to practical things like even providing sentence frames mm. for um, students who are still in the process of developing uh, English proficiency, those sentence frames can be very valuable for them. If you want to ask a, sen uh, ask a question in, in class, here are some frameworks, some ways to phrase questions mm. and, um, and answers. Too. So using sentence frames is one of those strategies. You know, we can't uh, mention a lot of them here, but maybe in the future we'll have opportunities. But there are many strategies, and using sentence frames is one of those. So help me uh, understand this idea of sentence frames a yeah. little bit. So 
Um, I often start class with um, three uh, journal questions mm-hmm. on the board. Students can mm-hmm. choose whichever one they want. Right. But for the first three minutes or so, I'm just going to give you some time to write about it. Sort of help us prep. Mm-hmm. Those are the, dis- the questions I'm going to use to guide mm-hmm. our discussion. Mm-hmm. So how would a, a sentence frame help me think about how I write the questions on the board for journals? Well, you have written out the question, so that's great. And I would say that a sentence frame would be providing a couple of um, response options Hmm. with blanks in them or with a beginning to the response and then students complete it. That would be a sentence starter. So giving them some idea of what is expected in the answer. Mm. And that could have a few different bullet points. Maybe you want a few different types of, of an answer yeah. in there. I, I'm, I'm, the idea of a sentence frame is wholly new to yes. me. So, so I'm deeply curious about trying that after we get back from break. But David, how about you? As, as you have... Uh, experience some of this secondhand with your spouse or you've walked with high school students through this, how has that shaped how you see Taylor's classroom experience? Well, first I just want to say that Jan's experience is is very different from mine um, in in a really unique way. Um, From what I understand, Jan was in classrooms full of pretty much the same culture Mm. that was looking at things the same way but was different than maybe the Western way of looking at things. Um, In my classroom, I had students that maybe had never been in a classroom. They were coming from refugee camps. Mm. They had either no literacy in their language to students who were very proficient in in their language and literacy, very well-schooled and educated, Mm. but from multiple different cultures altogether. So, you know, West African, um, Central America, South America, um, China, uh, Thailand, and, you know, just so, so many different ways. So we had to really establish uh, the norms of my classroom Mm -hmm. because each student might come thinking it's going to be something different or having no expectations because they've never really been in a classroom. They literally, some of them had literally been in the U.S. for two days before they were in my classroom. So just establishing, these are the norms of how, this is how school works mm-hmm. here. And it may look different, and that's okay. We're going to learn together. These are, you know, we're going to um, respect each other. Right. And even if people mess up, that's okay. We're going to normalize failure, normalize doing things wrong, but learn from those. Mm-hmm. and and uh, work in that. So in my classrooms here, it is different because I'm teaching mostly um, pre-service educators, right, Who's going, who are going to be teachers, but I'm wanting them to establish some of the same mm-hmm. ideas for their classrooms because mm-hmm. they're going to have classrooms full of, of maybe immigrants or mm-hmm. different cultures and yeah. just being able to um, create a family atmosphere in their class but one that they help their students to to fit into the norms Mm -hmm. yeah and picking up on that so a lot of my teaching in those intensive english programs at university level has been very similar to that and you know it was not unusual to have many different languages i remember 
one class where I had 12 different countries, languages okay. represented. So very similar to David's experience, only at the university level. Yeah. Um, so those were my teaching experiences in Canada and the United States. Mm-hmm. Um, so now there is one other thing that... Um, that I think uh, when you when you talked about our own educational background, it might not seem too relevant to go back to my childhood, but uh, but it impacted me a lot that my family moved to Brazil when I was ten. So um, so when we moved to Brazil, I was placed in a fully uh, Brazilian school mm. right away, right from the get go, without knowing any Portuguese. And that was a good school. Mm. Um, very, you know, uh, it was a private school, good teaching, etc. But it was an absolute uh, failure for me. Mm. It was mm. not what I needed at the time. I cried myself to sleep every night. Why? Because I didn't know a single word of Portuguese. Mm. And so a 10-year-old going into a fourth grade classroom, not being able to understand anything, no one spoke any English, mm. it's not a good situation. Yeah. Now, fast forward a little bit, then, then we, we got a tutor at home, we started learning Portuguese, we moved to the interior of Brazil, and my parents uh, debated about what to do for my education there because the educational system was extremely poor, mm. a very poor area, public, only one public school available. I went into that school. There was no actual teaching that I can recall. The teacher wrote on the board, and we copied it in our notebooks and memorized for a test, and that was mm. education. But that experience was not bad for me. Mm. I actually learned from that. Now, what do I take away from that? One is the importance of language. Right. <laughs> language made the difference between right. success, failure and success. And then the ability to learn through different ways of education mm-hmm. that were not necessarily what we think of as being you know, good education today. But um, so, you know, I I just highlight from that how we can't underestimate the importance of language in education that is, you know, the medium of education, whatever language is being used for that education. If students don't have full access to it, there are ramifications to that. I want to pull on that thread a little bit. Um, at the risk of making one of those mistakes that you mentioned of assuming that the language isn't there with an international yeah. student, um, I'm going to use a personal example. Um, the last time I taught our public speaking class, um, this would have been in the fall of 2019, I believe. Uh, I had a student, an international student from West Africa. Mm-hmm. Um, who was, who would come to class regularly early in the semester, always there, always on time, um, and always had a notebook out. Mm-hmm. Um, but I could see not much going into the notebook. Um, and when we got to our first speech, um, it seemed to me that his his grasp on English was 
quite a bit poorer than I had anticipated. Mm-hmm. Um, and I realized that I was teaching a subject which in order to assess well, we had to speak the same language. Mm-hmm. Um, I could I could let him give a speech in his native language, but I wouldn't be able to assess much okay. beyond the delivery. Right. Um, and that isn't what I stress in, in my public speaking yeah. classes. Um, so it, it could be that he, he had the ability, just didn't feel comfortable with the ability, mm-hmm. but it seemed to be that the the grasp of English, the sort of command of English mm-hmm. wasn't, wasn't there. Mm-hmm. Um, when you think back on your experiences or you think about preparing students for walking into a classroom where they might experience something like that, how do you coach your students on what that student needs and how to meet that student's needs? Because I, I can do lots of things. Um, but um, mm-hmm. I, I'm not, I'm not great at teaching English. Mm-hmm. Um, I, and I teach communication, which relies on, on that language, but, um, that, that isn't something that I am great at. So how, how do, first of all, maybe what are some of those students needs that I'm not aware of, um, or that student's expectations that I'm yeah. not aware of? And then how do I, as a faculty member, help to meet some of those? Yeah. Any ideas? on that there there are a lot of ideas okay um and you know this is where we'd like to go in the future is to Mm -hmm. delve into more specifically but i would say just to start is the most important thing is to know your students to Mm -hmm. know where they're at with their language level Mm -hmm. because if you don't know that piece then you are assuming one way or the other yeah so you if you have a student that's international you may just invite them into your office for coffee and just to get to know them asking them about their country their experience their family but in that process you're getting to hear uh, about their education maybe you know where they went to school you're getting to hear their English you're getting to hear how they're able to communicate and then that will inform how you prepare And as a content area teacher, you're not an English teacher, but you do know English and you do know the the language that is required to be successful in your content, your disciplinary literacy. So you you do have to be more intentional then to think back to, okay, what can the student do at this point with English? What do I need them to do? And what are some strategies to get them there? Mm-hmm. And that's what we would like to pursue in the, what we call the sheltered instruction or site model. Um, gives a lot of different strategies for lesson preparation, building background, um, mm-hmm. making sure your input uh, is comprehensible input for your students and giving strategies. Mm-hmm. So, um, Jan, do you want to yeah. add on to that? Yes. Um, so absolutely, uh, the starting point is knowing your student well. And uh, put in, pulling up on what David said, he mentioned comprehensible input. Um, so students need to understand what they hear and what they read. Um, and so the number one thing that students have commented on, and there has been research done with students on what is the number one thing you wish your teachers would do differently. 
And the answer to that that I've read in research is speak slowly and clearly. Is this specific to international students or students? English learners. English learners. Okay. English learners. Speak slowly and clearly. Clearly. Speak slowly and clearly. So that is the first thing that I always mention because it's something you can do tomorrow. You don't have to prepare to do it. You just have to be aware. You need to enunciate. You need to speak slowly, more slowly. Now, of course, this may may not apply to everybody, Mm -hmm. uh, but there are a lot of people when they're teaching in their native language who speak quite quickly. And so for those people, the caution is just slow down <laughs> and enunciate your words. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> so so that can be really helpful. And plus, that slower delivery gives more processing time for the international student. Remember, they're having to process everything that they hear. Right. Um, not only do they have to be able to literally understand it, but they need that time to process those meanings as we all would in if we are learning something in a non-native language. Um, And just a few other things is visuals, providing both speech and text um, can be very helpful, using examples. And, you know, there are a lot of things that can be acted out in classes. So math applications. In high school, we call them word problems that, Mm. you know, I don't know if they're called uh, something else at the college level, but when you are applying math principles to a specific problem, there can be a lot of acting out that can be done. Mm. Science processes can be acted out. So things that can become kinesthetic and visual, Um, and participatory, all of those things can be helpful. Mm. And printed printed notes or electronically available notes, class notes, can be very helpful to be following along. As in our um, our BTCLE session, uh, Jan demonstrated that we were able to understand better what she was saying when we were following along in print as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the simulation for the for faculty who weren't able to yeah. be there, I'll sort of give you as the as a participant. Here's what I was feeling during okay. that simulation: <laughs> um, intense panic. Um, <laughs> so you started off with reading uh, a, a, just a paragraph in Portuguese, mm-hmm. Portuguese mm-hmm. Um, that was um, introducing content. Yes. Right. The idea that here I'm a teacher introducing yes. content for class today. Right. Um, and I I immediately felt panicked. Um, I flipped over my uh, my notes and tried to write down any words that I thought I recognized mm-hmm. and um, then tried to figure out what was going on. And suddenly I realized for. I, I, it took me back to high school Spanish. The mm-hmm. first time I had a Spanish class that the teacher didn't speak in English. Mm-hmm. Um, and that feeling of, um, I only know a little bit of what's happening here. Um, and then mm-hmm. the you showed the 
the Portuguese on the screen. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we could then see, like you're saying, we mm-hmm. could see it now. And sort of that confirmation of mm-hmm. some of these words I have correct, mm-hmm. some of them I don't think I have correct. Mm-hmm. Um, and then... Uh, I've, then the I added was, in some English words right. to kind of simulate the experience of an intermediate level student. Yeah. So yeah. they know some of the language. And now hearing a bit of your past experience in education, you experienced this yes. when yeah. you were in Brazil. Yeah. This was mm-hmm. pulled directly from some of your experiences. Yes. Uh-huh. Um, it, it was um, a good reminder for me, mm-hmm. um, even even if it's not language. And maybe that's the thing that um, even if a faculty member listening doesn't have an international student in their classroom mm-hmm. right now, um, the idea of literacy, I, I, mm-hmm. that idea that um, I might speak the language and still show up to a class and the way that they're using the words, yes. mm-hmm. the way that they seem to be making a point, everyone else is nodding along or just staring ahead, and I feel like it's a different language. Right. And, and And not taking pride in that as faculty, that there's not um, um, a level of understanding that we've arrived at, mm. but that we have we have a, an opportunity to introduce students to a, a discourse, to a language mm-hmm. within our, our discipline. Mm-hmm. Um, and for some of our students, they may be feeling a bit panicked. Yeah. I know mm-hmm. I would be if I was in math um, uh, or, or chemistry. Um, and uh, I'm thinking about a student I have right now who is a biochemistry major mm-hmm. who I, I think I have seen at times that same look uh, across his face when we're talking about you know interpersonal conflict or we're talking mm-hmm. about mediated communication. And so it, it isn't just that this is happening when we're talking about a second language. Mm-hmm. Um, the, learning the language of the discourse of the discipline is also where this is happening for our students, right? Mm-hmm. Well, exactly, you make a great point. And you know, these international students to be at the university, obviously they, they know English to a certain mm-hmm. level mm-hmm. and they've had education. So we're not talking about illiterate or uneducated um, immigrants. We're talking about often very highly educated, very mm-hmm. smart individuals who know three, four, five languages and English is one of those. Yeah. Um, but you know, we hear them speak maybe their basic interpersonal mm-hmm. communication language is really strong but that technical, as you were talking about, the technical English yeah. in that subject area, it's even harder for them than it is mm-hmm. for someone who's just learning or who speaks English and who's just mm-hmm. learning that area. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, for me, speaking Spanish in a communication, fairly simple, but if I were to try to take a, a physics class in Spanish, yeah. mm-hmm. I would just be completely lost. Mm-hmm. So there's there's things that we just need to consider right. with our international mm-hmm. students in the technical language. Yes, and um, just adding on to that, so we often do talk about social language versus academic language in in our field. And I think teachers, going back to that point of don't be afraid to to help further students' learning, one example I give to um, K-12 teachers 
is, for example, uh, a teacher is in a science uh, lesson and has asked this has asked a student to explain an experiment where there was a change in the color of a liquid, mm. and maybe this English learner doesn't have quite the the words to use, and they say, "Oh, blue water is more, green water is less," and they're they're accurately describing what happened in the experiment. But that teacher can be helpful if that teacher comes you know, one-on-one with a student and says, that's a great answer. Now I want you to use the word liquid and use the word increase Mm -hmm. and use the word decrease. Ah, and maybe provide that sentence frame so the student can produce the blue water in, the blue liquid increased and the green liquid decreased. Mm -hmm. Just bringing up the level of language. Um, getting into that content area language, that academic language, or even just the higher level of vocabulary. So teachers need to not be afraid to provide that kind of feedback. But again, not tied to a grade, though. Hmm. Just providing the feedback, just that encouragement, just that modeling to use those uh, academic words. I'm so glad that you brought up feedback because uh, during the session on Tuesday, you all touched on through a video some of the differences and expectations Mm -hmm. in the classroom with regard to maybe asking for Mm -hmm. questions or uh, turning and talking to a a partner and and then sharing what you've learned Mm -hmm. with the group. One of the things that is critical uh, for for me that I, I take very seriously in, in how I teach is giving good feedback. Mm-hmm. Um, that um, a grade is a kind of feedback, but it's not, uh, it, for many students, it's not the sort of feedback that helps them know what needs to improve, mm-hmm. what they need to do differently. It just lets them know sort of Here's how you performed. Mm -hmm. So I give a lot of coaching feedback. A lot of, I see you're trying to do this. You haven't quite reached it. And here's some things that you can try to to improve next time. Um, I've I've seen a lot of receptiveness towards this from students, especially Mm -hmm. students who really want to learn. Is is feedback one of those areas, though, that is, is... perceived differently uh, in other educational cultures. Uh, The reason why I ask is um, it can be a little threatening Mm -hmm. because it highlights a gap. It highlights a mistake or it highlights a a space where a student hasn't mastered. Can that be perceived negatively? And how might faculty think about that when they're giving feedback? Uh, What I see in international students is a great desire for feedback. Mm. It I don't think it's threatening if it's not tied to a grade. Mm. You don't want that feedback to be tied to a grade. Mm. You want to give students opportunities to um, like submit a piece of writing to you first for your feedback before they have to submit it for a grade. Mm. And in those oral skills that you're developing, you want to come alongside them one-on-one and offer opportunities to sort of practice using different kind of language, for example. So I think it is very well received and it is very much desired 
but we need to remove it from the grading aspect. I agree, and, and I think it'll help you when you do get that final product in gra- grading it. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. I've received papers that the English mm-hmm. was just so poor that I wasn't mm-hmm. quite sure how to grade it. Right. Yeah. Um, but if the student gives you that in advance and you can say, you know, we really need to have you work on the, your English usage, mm-hmm. the academic language mm-hmm. here, and we have mm-hmm. so many resources at Taylor mm-hmm. that then can help them in the writing center or the AEC has other resources that can allow them to bring it up to a level where it's it's easier for you as a professor to grade. Mm-hmm. Right. Yes. Well, Jan, David, an, an hour is just too short a time for us to dive into everything. Um, and I think we found that a little bit on Tuesday that there's uh, we're meeting some of the needs. We're talking about some of the needs of international students. And, and you, you both have alluded to the desire for, for more, mm-hmm. more interaction with faculty to think about these things. What sort of skills and needs are you hoping that in the upcoming sessions, faculty might be able to discuss and learn more about as mm-hmm. we seek to better serve our international students? Um. I would love for us to see uh, maybe workshops, very practical workshops on uh, where, where professors bring in examples of what they do and can even showcase some of the great work that's already being done by some of our professors, mm-hmm. but then also th- learning from each other and thinking about how can I um, uh, be more intentional in my lesson preparation for meeting the needs of my international students. And that involves um, doing some things that we may not think to do otherwise, which is thinking about what vocabulary and concepts am I using that might be at, at a higher level than my international students are able to grasp without scaffolding or supporting them with, mm-hmm. with strategies. Mm-hmm. So what are some strategies that can then help with mm-hmm. that? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we've alluded to some things today, like sentence frames were maybe something new. And uh, David just mentioned scaffolding. So there is a significant toolkit of things like this <laughs> that can be very practical and very specific things that one can do in a classroom. So I think we hope to be able to showcase some of those. I'm excited for those conversations. David, Jan, thanks for being a part of the conversation today. Thank you. Thank you, Timothy. Thanks for being a part of the conversation. If you're looking for ways to get in touch with us, you can always email bctlepodcast at taylor.edu. The podcast is made possible by the Beattie Center for Teaching and Learning Excellence and is edited and produced by Mackenzie Dorico. At the BCTLE, our mission is to encourage and equip our faculty in their calling as teachers, care for students, and designs for learning. We want you to know we see what you do for your students. We appreciate and value your contribution to the conversation. We hope that this podcast helps you to make Monday just a little bit better.